Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes, intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. All right. Hello to all the Behind the Knife listeners. The Leahy team is back. Our second episode, our first journal club session. Uh, so once again, I'm honored to be joined by Dr. Tess Allette and Dr. Peter Marcello. Hey, John. Happy to be back at Leahy. Yeah, John, I'm really excited to be back. I'm looking forward to the journal club. Uh, it's a bit different. Uh, we had a lot of fun with the first episode, and I think this will be just as good. Awesome. So we, before we get into the meat of the session, a couple of important updates. So first of all, Uh, Congratulations to Tess, who graduated from colon and rectal surgery residency training. Uh, Tess, what are you up to these days? Uh, So I'm over at UMass uh, doing a clinical associate year, um, doing a lot of really awesome things. um, And it's been a great first few months uh, as an attending. Yeah, certainly you get those first weekend jitters. I I did get a call from Tess uh, with a few cases that were of interest the first weekend. You got a couple calls. <laughs> yeah, I got a couple. So wait a minute. So while you're over there, you see anything different with uh, Justin uh, Makel and the crew there, what they're doing? Yeah, we're doing a, do a lot of straight lap uh, and a lot of um, TATME. So that's been really awesome to, to learn uh, that new new skill. So um, a, lot of, a lot of TATME, which has been great. But don't forget to tell them about Leahy now, what we do here. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> obviously. All right, John, get us rolling. Great. Well, congratulations once again. So we we are in fact adopting uh, adapting to life without you here, Tess. Um, we're excited. We have uh, this year's colorectal fellows, Dr. Bobby Kuseko, is coming to us from Thomas Jefferson in Philadelphia, and then Dr. Raghavan Siddharthan, who uh, came to us from OHSU. Uh, so we're going to be talking about a couple journal articles related to rectal cancer. However, we did have a very good question from a listener who wanted to um, wanted us to elaborate a little bit on the step-up approach that we alluded to in our last episode. Uh, so the questions were specifically, uh, are patients paralyzed for the scope and do you give IV antibiotics? So Peter, care to clarify that for our listeners? Sure. Yeah, no, I, I, we do this just like you do colonoscopy on a stretcher. So the patient comes in on a stretcher. Uh, they get propofol and we do the colonoscopy and the EMRs and ESTs are done without paralysis. Now it does uh, make it a little more tricky when they're breathing or coughing, but we do that. And we don't give antibiotics. Uh, if I do penetrate through the muscle, then I will give them a dose of perioperative antibiotics. All right. Great. Thanks. All right. So we're very excited about this episode today. And so we're going to be presenting two articles that are, are very important to keep in mind when taking care of patients with rectal cancer. So the first is the Rapido trial, uh, and the second is the German rectal cancer trial looking at induction versus consolidation chemotherapy. Uh, and so these are definitely trials that uh, uh, residents in training, practicing surgeons really should be familiar with. Um, so we wanted to break those down for you today. Yeah, John, you know, before we launch into these two studies, which are, which are tremendous, I think I want to take a step back as the old guy here and just think about the history of how do we go from uh, where we are uh, today in regards to treatment for rectal cancer? You know, how do we go from doing surgery alone to now, in some cases, doing no surgery at all? Um, and, And I think the important thing I want to bring back to you is when I first started in my training, pelvic recurrences were seen and we took care of those patients. And the 
the horrific pain they get with a pelvic recurrence, the smell of tumor coming from the perineum, uh, and the moribund condition where they die of inanition, it really was impactful when I was young. And, and what I learned is, is you don't want to have a pelvic recurrence no matter what. Um, so I think we just take a step back and uh, think about that. Yeah, and I think you'll you'll see as we go through a lot of the trials that one of the main things that the trials focus on is local occurrence. And so that's exactly why that's important. Um, and so for our audio listeners, so just for our last episode, you know, consider following along with our YouTube video so you can look at some of the slides and uh, look at the articles with us as we go. So before we started using chemotherapy and radiation therapy, uh, which are now integral uh, treatments for rectal cancer, surgery alone was really what we started with. And so this is where you'll um, hear us, uh, you know, hear surgeons talk about the holy plane uh, popularized by Dr. Heald. Um, and so Tess, let's just make a note. Let's talk a little bit about this um, a little bit later in the, in the episode. Um, surgery alone for rectal cancer left us with very high rates of local regional recurrence. And so like we, like Peter was saying, that's something you want to avoid, um, and high rates, like up to 40%. Um, and so, you know, if you've ever seen a patient like that, as Peter has, you definitely want to avoid that. We then began adding adjuvant chemotherapy and radiation therapy. Um, but more of that started to really shift to upfront, meaning before surgery. Um, and you know, there are a ton of studies out there. And so we'll just sort of hit the highlights, um, you know, the, really the two studies that established the use of preoperative radiation therapy were the Swedish and Dutch, uh, trials. Um, so for the Swedish trial, this compared surgery alone to preoperative radiation therapy and demonstrated that there was decreased local recurrence and improved overall survival with the use of pre-op short course. Um, that study didn't really talk about surgical technique. The, the study that did, and is really the main trial that I think you hear a lot of us talk about is the Dutch trial. Uh, and this really popularized the approach of the TME surgery. Uh, so it looked at pre-op short, uh, short course radiation therapy followed by TME total mesorectal excision versus just surgery alone. Um, and they did demonstrate a decrease in local recurrence, uh, with pre-op radiation therapy, um, uh, compared to just, uh, surgery alone. Um, so it does decrease local recurrence, but it, you know, interestingly, it doesn't show any difference in overall survival, um, and so that's something we'll we'll talk about as the the, the trials uh, evolve. Yeah. Hey, John, hold on a second. Just just one point about this trial. Realize and remember that upper rectal cancers didn't see any benefit from pre-op radiation, and stage one cancers also did not see benefit from radiation. So it really was the mid to distal and the more advanced tumors that got this benefit. And that was an important point when we first and I was around when it first came out. But I think the most important thing here is to talk about terminology and the importance of total mesorectal excision. Because when I trained, it was the, the hand going in and, and bluntly dissecting the mesorectum and leaving behind the nodal field. So Tess, can you, can you elaborate a little bit about TME? Sure. Um, and uh, we have some good slides up on this. Uh, so total mesorectal excision or TME was popularized by Dr. Heald, um, and it refers to the technique that we use in resection um, of rectal cancer. And TME entails the use of sharp dissection uh, of the rectum and mesorectum along the avascular plane, referred to as what we call the holy plane, outside of the rectal fascia propria to ensure that we, with our specimen, 
maintain an intact mesorectum, getting all of those lymph nodes. Uh, so the goal of the TME is to excise the rectum, mesorectum, and have an intact fascial envelope. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, so, you know, next up in the evolution of these trials, we then get to the, the, the first German rectal cancer trial in 2004. Uh, and this really established giving us preoperative radiation therapy uh, as opposed to postoperative radiation therapy. Uh, and so what that study showed us is that with preop radiation, you had better compliance, less toxicity, uh, and better sphincter salvage, so less APRs. And so that really solidified the use of preoperative chemoradiation therapy. Um, interestingly, we, you know, we rarely see a difference in overall survival between treatment regimens and some of these trials. Um, but we do see again here that preoperative uh, radiation therapy had lower local recurrence, which is really still, you know, critically important. And so for most of the early 2000s, we were doing long course chemo radiation therapy in the US, followed by surgery with the possibility of adjuvant chemotherapy. And I just want to highlight that, 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 that for many years, more than a decade, it was long course chemo radiation, surgery, and then chemotherapy post-op. And that held through the test of time, uh, you know, for this and, and the technique of TME, it was enlightening to all of us to realize that you really need to get the fascia propria and the, and the whole envelope removed if you wanted to have success and prevent recurrences. I will disagree a little bit with some of the study in terms of you know, sphincter salvage, because the important point for me is that your resection should be based upon what it looked like pre-op, not what effect you got from the chemo radiation. Yeah. So that, and that's an important point, right? So if, if the tumor is something that you would need to do an APR before treatment, even if the tumor shrinks away, you should still be doing an APR, right? Is that what you're saying, Peter? That's what I'm saying. And I, and I still hold that true today. And I, and I think my, it's through my career I've, I've, I've held to that. And I think it's important. Right. You know, what, one of the things I'll just actually throw back to you and ask a question that's always sort of bothered me with these trials is we rarely see a difference in overall survival. We just see the differences in local recurrence. Any sort of input or thoughts about why we see that with some of these trials? Well, I think it's just the goal. Well, with some of these trials, the, the issue is also whether or not they're getting the adjuvant treatment because the survival may be dictated more by the lung and the liver than the pelvis. But the, the truth for any colorectal surgeon is avoiding the local recurrence. You know, uh, we can't always control the other parts. All right. So you're going to hear us really with these trials talking a lot about total neoadjuvant therapy. Um, and you'll hear us talk a little bit about the term of watch and wait or non-operative management. And so this really began to gain some traction. And really the credit goes to Dr. Habergama um, from Brazil. And so this was her initial trial published in the Annals of Surgery in 2004, looking at non-operative management of rectal cancer, uh, you know, following chemo radiation therapy. And this was a really radical concept at the time. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I don't want to keep interjecting, but here I got to tell you something because I remember, I can't help myself. But, <laughs> but in 2002, uh, Tom Reed, who's my best friend, we trained together and I learned a lot about rectal cancer and preoperative radiotherapy, short course radiotherapy from Tom and the group at WashU in St. Louis. So uh, shout out to that group where Dr. Abelson did his fellowship, getting us to do short course. But the concept of not operating for rectal cancer and not op not doing that was really foreign. And I remember Dr. Reed and I, Tom and I were at, in Rome and uh, a meeting where they brought the people from all over the world. And Tom and I, for some reason, got invited. And I'm on a panel with uh, Angelita uh, Habagama. And Angelita, you know, phenomenal person, brought up this concept. And I'm like, are you crazy? You know, can it really work? And, and we were 
and I got to say, I was younger in my career and I, I didn't have my eyes open. And I think you'll see now that we open our eyes fully and, and raise our, our minds to the possibility of, yes, things can change. So a, a huge concept. And I give her full credit for bringing this out uh, uh, so many years ago. Great. Yeah. So some of her initial results showed us that in patients who have a clinical complete response to preoperative therapy, that you can actually observe these patients instead of going straight to surgery. And you can avoid the morbidity and mortality potentially associated with doing a rectal surgery. Um, and so that sort of spawned the idea of total neoadjuvant therapy, TNT, uh, which is a term everyone probably, you know, hears a lot about. And so Tess, you want to just tell us a little bit more about TNT? What's that all about? Yeah. <clears throat> so TNT or total neoadjuvant treatment is where patients for uh, their rectal cancer, get all of their treatment up front before surgery. So the proposed benefits being that patients might have better compliance, better meta micrometastatic disease coverage, and then better downstaging and may allow for this watch and wait protocol. Great. So that was um, a nice appetizer. <laughs> uh, so let's get into that first article. Okay. So Tess, take it away. Yeah, so uh, thanks. I'm going to start by breaking down the RAPIDO trial, which stands for the rectal cancer and preoperative induction therapy followed by dedicated operation trial. So quite a mouthful. We'll stick to RAPIDO. <laughs> As we've already heard about the studies establishing the role and timing for radiation therapy, the role and timing for chemotherapy in rectal cancer at the time of this study had yet to be solidified. So the main objective of the RAPIDO trial was to give chemotherapy upfront in hopes of decreasing distant metastatic disease without compromising local regional control and overall survival. So the authors hypothesized that delivering pre-op chemotherapy after radiotherapy would increase compliance, reduce distant metastatic disease, and improve survival. This was a multi-center randomized control phase three trial, also a mouthful. So breaking that down a bit, multiple centers participated, a total of 54, um, most of which were in Europe. And then Washington University was the only American site. So yeah, so my my turn to, to jump in. We already gave one shout out to WashU in St. Louis. And so we'll just give another one here. So um, where I did my training, but, but yes, one of the, the only uh, US site and that's largely driven by the fact that that's one of the main centers in the U.S. that is routinely using short-course radiation therapy, which we'll talk about a little bit more. Okay, Tess, you may resume. <laughs> All right. So um, this study enrolled between uh, 2011 and 2016. 920 people were eligible and ultimately were randomized. Inclusion criteria were patients who had tumors less than 16 centimeters from the anal verge patients with locally advanced rectal cancer, and they had to have one or more of the high-risk fe features based on MRI of the pelvis. So it had to be either a T4, AB tumor. There had to be, um, if there was extramural vascular invasion, uh, N2 or positive mesorectal fascia on MRI or enlarged lateral nodes. So again, this was a randomized study. We all know on the hierarchy of study that this is at the top. Again, this was a phase three clinical trial. Um, these are designed to last several years. And the purpose of phase three studies is to demonstrate effect, efficacy and then also to monitor for adverse side effects. 
Um, in this study, the median follow-up was 4.6 years. Um, and then patients were randomized into either the experimental or the standard treatment groups. The experimental group received short course radiotherapy, meaning um, five by five, followed by chemotherapy, either six cycles of KPOX or nine cycles of full FOX, and then they underwent TME. The standard group received traditional chemoradiation, so 28 day fractions of 1.8 gray or 25 fractions of 2 gray, followed by TME. And then the patients in the standard group got, some of them got adjuvant therapy, and this was basically depending on institutional policy. Uh, the primary outcome was three-year disease-related uh, treatment failure, which they defined as local regional failure, progression on treatment, distant METs, new colorectal tumor, or treatment-related death. And then secondarily, they also looked at compliance with treatment, toxicity, pathologic complete response, and then complications. Yes, I'm going to, I'll just pop in for a second. I, you know, I'm, you will read a lot of these trials and we look at what they choose as their endpoints. And I always sort of wonder what's the best, you know, what's the single best design? Maybe Peter, what, you know, if you were designing your optimal trial, what would you say your primary outcome is? Yeah. And I think, you know, is it okay to, to put stuff together? I'm, you know, I'm not sure, but I think for me, I'm still harboring on preventing local recurrence. Right. And then, so that's what I, 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 I want to see more than anything else is that we're going to have success in the pelvis versus survival. All right. So in looking at the TNT experimental group, they had a statistically significant lower disease related treatment failure with 23.7% as compared to 30% in the standard group at three years, which is demonstrated here. Patients in the experimental TNT group had significantly lower distant metastatic disease, 20% compared to 27% in the standard group. And there was no difference in local regional failure or overall survival. The other uh, interesting finding was that the pathologic complete response rate was doubled in the TNT group. So 28% as compared to 14%. And they found no difference in treatment tolerance or uh, local failure. What, what's it, I think what's, you know, what's interesting to me about these findings is it's always nice when results sort of make sense to you. And so to me, it makes sense that if you're getting more chemotherapy, you have lower distant metastatic disease. They had no difference in local regional failure because they both had radiation therapy and surgery. So, I, you know, when I look at those results, I'm sort of like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. The hard part about the studies is always, always, um, and I test a great overview of the study is that um, chemotherapy, as you said, the limitation here was optional in the standard arm. And so I'd like a trial where they're going to get everything that they're supposed to be getting. And do they get, uh, you know, the, the use of the short course? In the U.S., not very common, so it's uh, it's not going to get a lot of traction in the U.S. Uh, because it's not many people are familiar with it, uh, which is part of it. But it, you know, I wish uh, maybe that the timing between surgery uh, for the control group between the chemo radiation and surgery was shorter. We would actually probably go longer than they do. So the hard part is that every study is not quite what you do in your own institution. So you never really know: Am I doing the right things? But, but still a, a huge uh, study to show what response you can get when you give all the treatment up front, 28% versus 14%. That is tremendous. 
Yeah. And so, um, you know, Tess, when you were in training here, you know, I always tried to, you know, think about it after we read a trial is what are some of your takeaway numbers so that when you're in clinic and you're advising patients about what their risks are, um, you know, you have something to go back on. So what, what would you say are some of your takeaway numbers from this study? Yeah. Um, I think the bottom line here for this study is that the TNT arm demonstrated a decreased rate of treatment related failure compared to the standard and mainly due to fewer distant metastatic disease. Um, the, th- this approach doubled the path complete response from 28%, uh, from, uh, to from 14, sorry, to 28%. And so I think that's the number that really sticks with me that, um, you know, improvement in the path complete response. Um, Again, as we kind of alluded to this interest in organ preservation and watch and wait, this higher path complete response, I think is really important. Anything else to to add, Peter, about this study? No, I think that's great. So my takeaway is I just, from this, you know, one in four, one in three people, if they do this, would get a complete uh, clinical uh, uh, and pathological response. And that's huge. Uh, And that's a number that I use. Right. All right. Uh, so the next article we thought was a nice pair uh, to the discussion we've had so far and our focus on TNT. And so this study comes to us again from the German rectal cancer study group. And so we talked about that earlier in this, in this session. Uh, so you remember that initial trial really sort of demonstrated for us that we should be giving radiation therapy before surgery rather than after surgery. Um, so this was uh, a randomized phase two trial uh, looking at chemo radiation therapy um, uh, with either uh, chemotherapy given before radiation therapy or chemotherapy given after radiation therapy. But the idea being that it's all total neoadjuvant therapy, all for locally advanced uh, rectal cancer. And so we know that there are clear benefits to giving all of the upfront treatments. Uh, and that's really, I think, you know, becoming the preferred treatment paradigm, at least here at Leahy, uh, for locally advanced uh, rectal cancers. Um, so the, the timing and the order of these treatments, I'll tell you, is something that we sort of debate every week when we're talking about patients. And so that's what this study was really trying to answer is what is the most promising uh, TNT sequence. And so they hypothesized that TNT should be able to increase the path CR rate um, up to about 25%. So again, multicenter randomized phase two trial. And so remember, phase two trials focus on efficacy and side effects. Um, they patients had locally advanced rectal cancer within 12 centimeters from the anal verge. Um, surgery was indicated irrespective of tumor response. So even if a patient had clinical complete response, meaning they get all their therapy and the tumor completely melts away, they still did surgery. Uh, so the primary endpoint in this study was pathologic complete response. And I'll just say, you know, the, the primary outcome for um, repeat trial is a little confusing because they combined a bunch of things together. You know, when you look at trial and it's like, okay, it was the pathologic complete response. That's the primary endpoint. It's a little bit easier, I think, sometimes for the reader to understand. Um, they did have secondary outcomes like toxicity and compliance and morbidity. Um, and so they assume that a, a path CR rate just with radiation therapy alone would be about 15%, but that with TNT, it should be up to 25%. So this is a really interesting study design. It was um, not sort of head to head. It was just a power to select which is the better sequence. So pick the winner strategy. 
um, not wasn't powered to demonstrate a difference between the two groups uh, at the usual significance level of, of um, uh, 0.05. So I thought that was a very interesting uh, study design. And, and John, I'll just say, as you get to this, at least it's in a protocol which we are currently doing, you know, A or B. And so it's easier, for, I think, for us in the U.S. to look at this and say, yeah, we're going to be doing one of these. What should we do? So I'll let you go through it. Yeah, so I I really like this this figure. Um, if you're following with us following um, uh, with us again on on our YouTube video, so you know Group A is the induction group, and so what that means is they start off with chemotherapy, and then they get chemo radiation therapy. Uh, group B is consolidation chemotherapy, meaning they start with radiation therapy and then they get chemotherapy. Yeah, and I want to just hammer that home because I think. Um, it's really important that we like understand these terms. And I agree this slide is like really helpful in, in, uh, seeing that. So the difference between consolidation and induction chemotherapy can be a little confusing. So again, group a, which got induction chemotherapy means that they got upfront chemotherapy with three cycles of full Fox. Then they rested, then they got their chemo radiation rested and then had TME. Whereas group B, the consolidation group, um, they got chemo radiotherapy, rested, chemotherapy, rested, and then the TME. All right. So you know what the big question here is, though? You can say no. It's okay. No. No. no all right. So in your practice now, Tess, if they do induction and you then get chemo radiotherapy, when do you take them to surgery after chemo radiation? How many weeks do you wait out? If you're doing induction, how many, uh, like, so after chemo radiation, how long yeah. do you normally wait in your practice? We typically wait like 10, 12 weeks, right? Yeah. Three, so, three months or yeah, three months, Yeah, three months. So yeah. 10, 12 weeks yeah. in this study, they waited. What do you know? Remember it's, it's six, six weeks. weeks, six, six weeks. weeks. Yeah. So I I'll just tell you my bias of this is that you're not waiting long enough in group a to really be sure that you're getting a complete pathological response. It's not yeah. what I do in my practice. Right. And that's my concern about this group B on the other hand, they get chemo radiation first and then they're getting surgery. How many weeks later, roughly 12, 12. Thank you, John. Mm -hmm. So he, he can read and count on the slides. <laughs> Pick it up now. So, so all I'm saying is that group B is more like what I do in my practice. Group A is not quite it. And we'll see how that plays out. Go ahead, John. Yeah. Great. All right. Um, so for both study groups, Compliance was 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 very high with overall treatment, and so this just sort of confirms to us that if you do chemotherapy and radiation therapy before you do a proctectomy, um, you're going to have much better compliance than if you do it after you do a proctectomy. Um, induction chemotherapy had a lower pathologic complete response at about 17%, as compared to 25% for consolidation. Um, so this really speaks to boom. I just dropped the mic. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, John. There you go. So, uh, you know, it's a phase two study. So primary endpoint was, was, was pathologic complete response. So no data on long-term clinical outcomes like disease-free survival or overall survival. Presumably that'll be coming out in the future. Um, and, you know, and they didn't include watch and wait, which is something that we're currently doing here for, for select patients. Um, so it could be limited, uh, you know, a little bit to, you know, how you extrapolate that to, to current practice. Um, and so I'll have to say here that I think the important message here is these are tremendous results when you think about it. And it's not just clinical results. These are pathological results. And so to have a 17 to 25% 
you know, complete pathological response is tremendous. And something that I would not have imagined when I started uh, my training or my career. And so uh, while it's not perfect, I, and maybe that 17% would jump up if you'd waited another six weeks before you operated. We don't really know that. Uh, we'll have to wait to see long-term what happens in this group. Just tremendous results to, to, uh, to note. Go ahead, John. Yeah. And, and so I think if we're you know diving a little bit deeper into their protocol, so they used oxaliplatin as a radio sensitizer. So Tess, what are we using for radio sensitizing agents typically in, in this country? So uh, 5-FU. 5-FU. And so, yeah. you know, so does that make a difference using a different radio sensitizing agent? Um, they had three cycles of full FOX, you know, and then radiation therapy and then surgery. We're probably, if we're doing TNT, giving six cycles, eight cycles. That's not totally well-defined, but probably more. So are, are the, are the path CR rates even higher? I mean, we don't, you know, we don't know. So, and that's one of the things that I, I, you know, I find very sort of intellectually curious about this, you know, this disease process is so many questions, so many different pathways you can go down, which can be complicated, but I think, you know, there's a lot of important questions to, to ask. All right. Anything else to add about these uh, two trials? Yeah, I, I think what you said was the bottom line is that, you know, uh, efficacy and safety, right? And that consolidation showed better compliance. Uh, and uh, we have to wait for the final results. I think, though, that both of these studies represent landmark studies that contributing to our shift in mindset of the paradigm of treating rectal cancer and help us sort of get into a segue of how to use TNT in our practice. Awesome. All right. So we're uh, running out of time. Uh, and so Tess, uh, take us home. And so uh, give us our Tess's teaching points. I'm glad we're glad we're sticking to this. So uh, my main takeaways are that uh, short course and systemic chemotherapy result in uh, pathologic complete response of around 28%. And that compliance with multimodal therapy is going to be best with whatever initial modality is used. So if you're looking to optimize radiation therapy for locally advanced tumors, start with radiation. And if you're worried about systemic disease, then start with chemotherapy. Awesome. Peter, Marcella must knows. Hit All us. right. Uh, the must knows come through. The rule one, though, is always going to be there. Every, every time, trust but verify, you know, whatever's happening with the information you're getting, uh, verify that you know uh, what you're reading, trust but verify. And I'm just going to go old school and say, I base my resections because I don't know how good the treatment is really going to be based upon their pre-treatment imaging and examination and, 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 and avoid local recurrences at all costs. And I think TNT is a huge benefit for this very reason. And John, why don't you bring us uh, home with Abelson's approach? Abelson's approach, yeah. So a lot to unpack here, and you know, like I think I mentioned earlier in the in the you know podcast, I'm we're still trying to look for that perfect trial uh, to teach teach us how to handle each and every scenario. You know, I would say, and this is you know, Peter sort of mentioned this. My preferences for the most part starting with radiation therapy. You know, give that radiation therapy as much time to cook the pelvis to really increase the chance that you're going to have a clinical complete response or a path complete response. Um, so that sort of is my preference that makes the most sense to me right now. And we'll see what I say in five years. Uh, so once again, if you're interested in learning more about specific topics in colorectal surgery, you can join us on Sunday evenings for our colorectal surgery virtual education series. And you can also check out our show notes for details. So 
Thanks for joining us for this journal review in colorectal surgery. Uh, we're going to see you again in March, and we're going to be talking about clinical challenges in rectal prolapse. Uh, if you enjoyed the um, episode, take a minute or two out of your hectic day and leave us a review. Uh, and as Behind the Knife likes to say, team, until next time. Dominate the day. Until next time, dominate the day.